You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello, welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity and betrayal. Today, we're going to talk about reasons why they stay. And when I mean reasons why they stay, I mean me, I mean you, but I also mean that on a much broader scale. I mean that in terms of some of these political wives that we have seen in the media throughout the years, um, such as like Hillary Clinton and Bill's famous cheating scandal. There's a wide variety of reasons why people stay and also why they leave. But today, my guest is Anne Michaud. She is a veteran political journalist and the author of the book, Why They Stay, Sex, Scandals, Deals, and Hidden Agendas of Eight Political Wives. And while I am fully aware that you are probably not a political wife, you are also a human, a wife, a partner, somebody who has decided to stay. And we're going to take a deep dive into all of those reasons today. So with that, welcome to the show, Anne. It's such a privilege and an honor to have you here. Thank you so much, Laura. Okay, let's start with your book. Why did you decide to write a book like this? It's such an interesting topic. Well, I had been a reporter for a number of years and um, had written about a number of the men who I covered on in the book, um, Bill Clinton, Elliot Spitzer, Anthony Weiner. Uh, I guess the latter two are not quite as familiar outside of New York, but um, Spitzer was a governor here and Anthony Weiner was a um, congressman and then he ran for mayor of New York City. And I thought that the coverage was very um, one-sided. We would write about the men, but the women were like props in the in the coverage. They they um, and I thought, you know, I'm a woman, and I know that I'm not a prop, and I um, I'm a complex individual with a history and um, my own thoughts, and so I wanted to bring the women to the forefront and um, just profile what life was like for them. Oh, I, I really appreciate how you say women as props because isn't that the truth? <laughs> so often we are relegated to being a prop. And even though, yes, the man is the actor um, in terms of they took the action to cheat, to move into the infidelity, the woman also has a brain. She also has <laughs> a heart. She is not, as you said in some of your information uh, that I reviewed earlier, she's not a powerless pawn. And that really struck me. And I'd like to hear more about that. Um, you said the women, the women who stay are not powerless pawns. They are shrewder than you'd expect. Talk more about that. Well, I think you see, when you see how the women handle these scandals of their husbands, 
that they're getting some advice from political consultants. And they're also sometimes taking it, sometimes making their own way. And um, for example, I think when Hillary Clinton and Bill was running for president and um, a scandal came out about him, she went on 60 Minutes and she said, you know, I love him. I think he'd make a great president. But if you don't, then don't vote for him. Um, so I think what Hillary did, confronting that directly, set the stage for a lot of future women. Um, you, you would see, for example, uh, Huma Abedin, who was um, Anthony Weiner's wife. They went in front of the um, press in New York City and she said pretty much the same thing. I love him and I think he'd make a great mayor. Um, <clears throat> And uh, or in the case of Silda Spitzer, she just stood to the side of her husband, which in, I guess, in political, um, uh, not not spoken, but uh, at least acted out um, that uh, a show of support. Mm -hmm. But I think you also see other women make different decisions. For example, Wendy Vitter who is the wife of a former U.S. Senator, David Vitter from Louisiana. David, uh, his name was found in the um, records of a woman who was known as the DC Madam, and he had been frequenting her. Um, the two of them went to one press conference and Wendy Vitter said, I, I'm speaking to you journalists you know, as a, as a mom. And I would, I hope you, that you can let us have a nice summer with our family and not just be pestering us. And, and the two of them never addressed it again in front of the press. I mean, she just, as far as I could see, really shut it down. So I think you, you know, there's a, a range of how women are dealing with this, whether they stay or not. I mean, they're definitely, um, making some of the decisions about how to confront these allegations and um, whether to speak about it again or just say, that's over, I've dealt with it. I'm not answering any more questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like how you said it. It's it's a range because it is. I mean, humans, human behavior is in a range. We all deal with things differently. Some people are public, some people are private. But what I really, really wanted to, you know, hone in on was the fact that women are people too. And even though we have been victimized or some people have been victimized by their husband's actions, we don't have to play the role of the victim. And we are not at the will of our husband, our partner, the press, our family, our career, anybody. And that's what I really appreciated about your work. Um, Not only do you showcase the fact that women have intellect and free will, but it's also, it's characterized in such a way that it's not shrewdness with the negative connotations Mm -hmm. that I'm going to take and I'm going to get, and I'm going to, you know, show them and hurt them. It's, Hey, this is my life. Mm -hmm. And I get to call the shots. Yeah. I, I was very much um, interested in not writing, um, a tell-all, let's embarrass these people type of book. It was much more um, to look at them in a human way. 
I mean, as moms, as daughters, as wives. Mm -hmm. I went through and talked about how each couple, um, both the man and the woman, how they were raised, how they met each other, and um, what their children took away from the from the uh, difficulties that they had in their in their lives. Which is beautiful because isn't that what life is all about? You know, <laughs> overcoming, facing, mm -hmm. and taking something away from it, and not letting ourselves be ruined, be broken forevermore. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. Yeah. So you said you weren't interested in writing a tell-all. What is the fine line between not writing a tell-all yet telling it all and retaining that human piece? Well, that's a good question. And I think it sort of goes to what you were saying about shrewd being a negative i don't cast their decisions in a negative light um i think it's just a matter of making sure that you stick to the facts and i did an enormous amount of research for this book i read um 400 books articles original documents did interviews and um so stick to the facts is is one big thing for me. Um, if you have something that you've heard that might be juicy, I don't include that <laughs> if I can't prove it. Mm -hmm. And if I, you know, I footnote it. Um, so, and I also, I just think that, um, you know, just being, coming at it with humanity in a way that because I'm a woman, I can recognize how you could make, you know, um, certain decisions and, and how you could say, oh, for example, um, Eleanor Roosevelt said at one point when she first found out about her husband's cheating that she wanted to stay for her children. She had, they had five children. And um, later in her life, when her children were getting married, she was giving some advice to her daughter, Anna, and she said, you know, I wouldn't stay in a loveless marriage. So she changed her mind over time. And I just think, you know, recognizing that humans do that and, and um, most of us are acting on trying to be a good person. Such power in what you said, changing your mind over time that is okay. We can choose to stay. We can choose to leave. We can choose careers. We can choose so many different things and we are not stuck with it forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Also the complexities of human relationships, um, you know, staying for the children, staying for I hate to say staying for the power because, again, that has a negative connotation. But, you know, when you talk about Hillary staying and Melania staying for, you know, the political dream and Hillary for the political connections, if you will. Mm -hmm. Again, it's got that negative spin, but it's not. It's Hillary was entitled to this position as the first, you know, female candidate for president on her own merits. However, 
she could have destroyed that with a different decision around her marriage. I think that's true. Yeah. I think um, what I found in the women I researched was that they had some common motivations. And one is that they were raised with this sort of um, very traditional view of, of marriage and, and a man's place in the world um, being maybe primary hmm. in the relationship. Um, they cared for the emotional um, health of their family. They cared about security and they wanted to create a legacy for themselves and for their children. That's not too different maybe from a lot of couples. But I also found that generally the women had an idea of something patriotic that they wanted to do for their country. Um, for example, you find uh, Hillary and Bill, I think I've read that they called their life together the journey from the start and that they had a vision of, um, you know, reforms that they wanted to see happen. I think that's pretty, pretty cool that you feel like you could um, change the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also found um, a really beautiful passage by um, Elizabeth Edwards, who was married to John Edwards, who was a presidential candidate and a um, senator from North Carolina. And she wrote that when she found about his, out about his cheating, um, that she worked even harder on the, uh, on the causes that they had been working on together. Um, one of which was uh, poverty issues. And um, she wrote, this was the glue that, that held it together for me after I learned about him cheating were these, you know, these causes and ideas that we had shared together still meant so much to me. And I think that that's a real element in these political marriages that you don't necessarily find in, uh, in a private couple. I agree. I agree. And as you were saying that, I was thinking um, it's interesting because these common motivations that you found are probably true in the non-political relationships that stay together as well. You know, whether people are adopting a group of children together, you know, and, and fighting to reform something else or just working together at their community church. I do think that that idea of this is our shared vision and this is our shared journey and this is a bump in the road, but this is greater than me. We do need to adopt kids out of the foster care system. We do need to provide food for our local food pantry, whatever it is. I think that's really um, an important element. I also wanted to talk a little bit more. You talk about one of the commonalities was that these women cared for the emotional health of their family the security, and wanted to create a legacy for themselves and their kids. I found that beautiful and interesting, and I'd like, I'd like to hear more about what you learned around that. Well, I think that 
this really surprised me and um, as a finding and and I really um, have seen it since since I recognize this and these women I've seen it again and again. Um, maybe just uh, one story will will help tell it when um, John Kennedy was killed, um, his two children were really young and didn't really get a chance to know their father in, in a in a way. And um, I think at the time the coverage was, you know, Jack was only president for less than one term. His his legacy is not going to be that significant. And um, Jackie just absolutely would not stand for that. She said, um, she, she started inviting people who had known her husband in political life and friends, and they would come over to dinner and they would tell stories to the children about their dad. Hmm. And um, she also began, um, there was a, a performing arts center going up in Washington, DC. And she began raising money for that and, and had it named after her husband. She helped start the uh, Kennedy Library in Boston, helped get uh, Cape Canaveral renamed for her husband. I mean, there was, an, and she invited <laughs> a journalist, Theodore White, over and said, you know, our marriage and our time in office was sort of like Camelot. <laughs> 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 so she created all this mystique around um, her husband and his his life and very consciously saying he's not going to be forgotten and um, this is our legacy. Wow that's powerful. So mm. what got you excited and do about doing this project in the first place because it is kind of an unusual thing. I had wanted to write since I was a little kid. Um, when I was in fifth grade, I read Little Women and I just thought, you know, this is wow. <laughs> I was very excited about that. So, um, but I, I wanted to also make a living. And so I went into being a newspaper reporter and um, always had in the back of my mind, it would be great to write a book. And I had written a proposal for something about um, how to combine work life so that it's a little bit easier for working parents, you know, what some supports that government could offer or that employers could offer and, and some ways that parents could think about combining work and life so that it wasn't quite so exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And, um, that proposal didn't sell, but I got an agent and she said to me, you know, Hillary Clinton might be running for president. This is 2014. And um, why don't you write a book about why women stay with their husbands? And I said, that sounds fabulous to me. And um, so I did write that. And, and uh, be, I felt as though, you know, at the time, we were all still wondering why Hillary stayed with with Bill and um, that book was the first edition 
and came out in 2017. And then I went around um, speaking to libraries and other groups um, about my book and, and everybody would say to me, what about the Trumps? Hmm. And so I um, wrote a substantial chapter on the Trumps and um, put that into the second edition, which came out in June. Okay, that makes sense. So do you have any personal connections with yourself or your family around infidelity? Is there a personal calling around this at all? No, people ask me that every time. And I guess I could only say it's I have sort of an, an oppositional I, um, my husband and I are, are pretty strongly um, committed to to being faithful to each other. That's good. That's good. You're you're very blessed around that, fortunate around that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because I do think it's interesting. Um, when you say people are very interested at first around Hillary, that was the question that came up. And I know for myself as well, that was something that came up. Oh my gosh, why, why, why would she stay? Why would she, why would she stay? And in my own life, it's been interesting, the gap between what I thought I would do if I was ever in this situation mm -hmm. and what I think other people should do when they're in this situation. And whoa, the reality of facing that situation when it's a situation that most of us never dream we will have to face. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we do have a lot of opinions and judgments and then it happens and you go, whoa, that's not what I thought. Right. When you're in it, I think that you, and I'm not saying about this particular situation, but in other situations where I found myself and I had been outside judging and then all of a sudden it happened to me and I was like, oh, I'm going to make a very different decision than I thought it would be. Yeah, exactly. Just because there's so many complexities and layers. And I, I will wrap up the first half of the show by saying this. One of the things that really drove me, and I'd like to, for the second half of the show, have you go through some of the couples and see if this is a similarity that you found. But one of the things that drove me was, you have hurt me by doing this. You took away my expectations. You took away my trust. You took away everything. And you are not going to take away anything else, including my future, my legacy, and anything that I have worked so hard to create. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like to have you go through some of the couples profiled in your book. Um, and talk a little bit more about some of the wonderful, juicy, yet not juicy details. <laughs> so we will be right back. Do you feel betrayed by life, your body, or by someone that you love? You are not alone and you are not weak or overly emotional for feeling the way that you do. Betrayal is one of the most overwhelmingly painful experiences to navigate because it strikes at the core of who you are and what you are worth. No matter how gutted you feel, there is hope. You can flourish, not in spite of your experience, but because of it, I know. After 23 years of marriage, my world was shattered when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me with five different women for 15 years. I lost everything that day, my identity, my worth, 
and the future I had worked so hard to create. While it was a long and arduous journey back to myself, today I know who I am, what I want, and I am happier and more confident than I ever was before. I've got what I call naked self-worth, which is the ability to see, know, and love yourself for who you are, not for what you accomplished or for who you are in relation to others. No matter what has shattered your heart, if you're ready to get clear on who you are, what you want, and to learn how good life really can be, then life choreography is for you. Even if you feel too old or are too busy because you have kids at home and you're in charge of everything, Life Choreography is a comprehensive five-month, five-step program that empowers you to strip out of your labels, roles, and scripts, and to reveal yourself as you are, not as you think you should be. To learn more, go to NakedSelfWorth.com and download your free guide that shows you how to untangle yourself from the past. Reclaim your sexy and start re-choreographing life on your own terms so you can love and be loved for exactly who you most authentically are. And we are back with Anne Michaud talking about why they stay and her book outlining uh, the stories of several different political wives and the reasons why they chose to stay even after their husband's affair or sex scandals. So welcome back. I'd like to spend this half of the show going through some of the couples that you profiled and just learning a little bit more about their situation and in particular, the motivations of the women and the reasons why they stayed. So what was your favorite or most surprising couple that you profiled in your book? Well, I would say, I would say I found um, Huma Abedin and Anthony Weiner pretty surprising. Oh, why? Um, I knew Anthony a little bit. I'd met him a few times and um, he, I was surprised that he was as self-destructive as he was. He just, um, he had the first um, tweet that he sent out of himself in his undershorts um, and, you know, sent it to all his Twitter followers instead of just the one woman he was supposed to be sexting with. Then he quit Congress and um, ran for mayor about of New York City a couple of years later. And now they have a young son. And there were some indications that they were prepared that there were gonna be more sexting um, episodes coming out even as he was running for mayor. And um, you can see them kind of there was a, a documentary called Wiener that um, a, a, a film crew went around and followed them. And you can see them sort of strategizing, okay, well, we knew this was going to happen. So now how are we going to explain this? And I was just um, sort of, that takes my breath away. I mean, I just, <laughs> I'm like, really? You, you, you knew you were walking into this. 
Um, now, Huma was a, a top aide to Hillary Clinton. I think she still is. And um, she said some advice she got from Hillary was, don't ever let anybody else tell you what to do in your relationship. Yeah. And so, okay, there we get a little bit of insight into how Hillary was making her decisions. And I think, um, I think it's probably fair to not let anybody else tell you what to do. And, you know, then there's the rest of us who want to speculate on what other people should do. Yeah, it isn't that human nature. Okay, you, you mentioned his self-destructive nature. And earlier during the first part of the show, you said that you go into some of the backgrounds um, of these people. Uh, I, I'm not saying categorically that anybody who has a bad childhood will end up being a cheater or, you know, conversely, that anybody who has a happy, healthy childhood won't be. But were you able to find some common denominators in the backgrounds of the men and maybe some of the reasons why they were self-destructive or why they would cheat? I think most of them had this sense of um, entitlement that they um, felt as though a man was entitled to have big ambitions, to be supported in those ambitions, and to um, sometimes step outside the marriage. I mean, I think you look at, um, for sex, you look at uh, the Kennedys, for example, both of their dads were cheaters. and flagrant cheaters. <laughs> I mean, they didn't hide it. And um, so I think they thought this was a man's prerogative to, to just go ahead and sleep with whoever they wanted to. Yeah. Sad. And it is sad. But that brings up something else too. You know, the Kennedys, um, the Roosevelt's, I feel like in times past, it was more accepted or even expected for mm. men to cheat, especially powerful men. Mm. Whereas by today's standards, we're we're much more open and we're much more clear about the fact that this is not okay. Um, mm -hmm. What were some of the differences, if any, between some of the stories from, you know, say the sixties and earlier versus Hillary, um, Melania, some of the more recent wives? I found, you know, especially with those two you just mentioned, Hillary and Melania, that they had an indication before they married their husband that, that the husband would cheat. And I think um, there's sort of a famous story about Melania and Donald were dating. She broke up with him because she found out that he was seeing someone he used to see, another woman, and um, they broke up for a while. Then obviously they got back together and got married. And um, I think I'm not straying too far or being too um, speculative to say that I think they probably had a deal that he would just keep it quiet. If he was going to cheat, it wasn't going to be something that she had to deal with right in her face like that. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I know as a journalist, you are used to suspending your own opinions and reporting on the facts. And you had mentioned earlier, too, that, you know, you really wanted in the writing of this book to document and to make sure everything was very factual. That said, did you find yourself having any particular emotions come up one way or the other when you were looking at these stories? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I covered um, Elliot Spitzer's election to governor of New York, and he was attorney general before that. And I knew a lot of the people who were in his administration and how um, excited they were to see him get elected. They believed in his policies. And um, I felt really disappointed on their behalf. Um, they had, you know, they had to leave or, or they may have stayed on with the um, David Patterson who had been Lieutenant Governor but it wasn't the same sense of mission and here we're gonna change the world. And um, I felt really sad for that. And also happy <laughs> when his wife Zelda eventually left. I mean, she stayed with him for I think six years, long enough so that he had another shot at running for office, which was the controller of New York City. But when he lost that, um, position they split up. He lost the elect uh, the election um, in the primary, and after that they went their separate ways. And she's done a lot of fundraising for women candidates. She's you know got her own um, position. Last I checked, at a an investment banking firm run by women, and I just feel as though she kind of stood up for herself in that sense. And that made me feel um, excited for for her and for her their three daughters. Nice, 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 nice. And then, what about your opinion? I guess you would call it around uh, the stigma and shame around infidelity. Has that changed at all after researching and writing this book? I guess I think it's a lot more common than I would have believed when I grew up. Um, I don't think it's something that couples that has to ruin a marriage, destroy a marriage. I think it depends on um, the two people in, or more people, I don't know. <laughs> if they're, you know, if the other person is still, um, the person you cheated with is still involved. Um, I think, you know, people can work these things out for themselves. And um, I just think, that when you're um, a member of a, a political couple where you've been elected to office, that it has a different dimension, that you have a, a sense of um, public trust and that it's not just between you and your partner anymore. Oh my gosh, so true, so true. Um, what about the women that these men cheated with? Did you do any research around that or do you have any thoughts or opinions around them and their motivation? And the reason I ask that is kind of a loaded question. <laughs> it's so easy, I think, to hate the other woman. I mean, you know, I know from my experience too, obviously I wanted to blame them. I wanted to hate them. I wanted to, you know, talk about how horrible they are. And I still do. <laughs> and at the same time, I realize I'm in a shared sisterhood, you know, with women. I am a woman and I want to support all women, even when women make choices like that. And the whole Madonna horror complex is a thing. And I don't think women are exclusively good or bad. And there's just a lot of complexity around that. So I was just curious, your thoughts, what you learned if you delved into the other woman at all. 
I really didn't. I know that in my life, personally, I choose to walk away from compromising situations if, if a man is married. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so that never really even came up in motivation for the other woman to stay or not stay. That just kind of wasn't a thing in your research. I don't really even know the identities of a lot of the women. I think, um, you know, I as far as uh, Bill Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky, I thought a lot about her. Yeah. She was a, a kid. I know. <laughs> her TED talk just it, yeah, blew me away. And, and I know. kids her age, it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> I have kids her age too. And um, I'm like, you know, I, I've, I've heard people, for example, um, they talk about the legislators who go up to Albany and New York, which is the state capital. They say, oh, what's north of Bear Mountain stays north of Bear Mountain. And, and you know, this whole idea that you could have a, a, a fling with a, an intern or something. And I'm like, do not ask my daughters to go up there. <laughs> <laughs> no. I just think, you know, there's got to be some sense of care. These aren't just sexual beings. They're also young women that, you know, we have responsibility for as older people. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm very old fashioned and corny in that sense, but that's my belief. No, you're right on because um, I remember when the, when the whole, you know, Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, she was vilified. I mean, she really was vilified. And at the time I was closer to her age, so I had a different perspective. But yeah, now being an adult, living life, oh my gosh, I mean, I cried during her TED Talk, realizing what we as a society put her through and our tendency to blame the other woman is, is truly horrifying because again, we're all just people for good, for bad, for right, and for wrong. And yes, we have an obligation to protect our young whether it's our young boys saying, don't do this or our young <laughs> girls. Right. Saying, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads me to my next thought, you know, around that obligation. What do you think about our obligation as humans going forward to have difficult discussions? Is this something that we can kind of fix and get a better handle on? Or do you think this is just human nature and that it's never going to change? People will always be unfaithful. I think there are two parts to that question. I think for political leaders, I think that we have to decide, maybe as a nation, I don't know, as, as voters, do we trust somebody who will cheat on their partner? Do we think that says something about how they treat women in general or men if, if it's the other way around? Um, so that's one question. And I think the other question is, are we more accepting of infidelity than we used to be? And I think that's definitely yes. <laughs> I think there's a lot of questioning around um, married for life type of things that I, I see more of it now than I used to when I was younger. So um, I think it's okay to, to have different um, ideas about what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then in the political realm, um, as well as in the personal realm, how much do you think it matters as far as reputation or damage control when the betrayed partner stays and when they go? I think the conventional wisdom has been that we need, you know, the woman to stand beside the guy and vouch for him. But there's not that, like, I, I go back to the story of when Ted Kennedy was running for um, president and he, his, he had an estranged wife, Joan, and she came out on the campaign trail with him because they had to present this family image. Um, I don't think you see that anymore. I think that um, we're very, uh, as, as a nation, very accepting of um, people who've been married a, a few times um, or uh, maybe have a same-sex partner. I, I think that, you know, that's, that's changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then the last question around that is, What's the difference between like a sex scandal and some other kind of a scandal, if there is one? Do you think there's a difference in perception around that? I think people feel as though a sex scandal, they can, they see it a little differently, especially, I was gonna say especially men, but that's a real generalization. Okay, um, <laughs> I think that a sex scandal can be seen as a momentary lapse in judgment. Whereas, you know, if you're mm. stealing or um, trading your, uh, your vote for personal gain, I mean, I think those are, I think across the board, all of those things go to whether you have a good character. But I think there's a little bit more of forgiveness for the, the sex because people realize what a strong drive that is in humans. Ooh, that's a good answer. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> and, and it actually got me thinking too, like when you were talking about character and, and, and like that, the title of your book is The Hidden Agenda of These Political Wives. And that, what you said, just kind of made me think, it's not really the wives' hidden agenda. It's just that it now the agenda that they had all along kind of has to come forward because mm -hmm. does that make sense? I think so. I mean, I I said hidden agenda to try to intrigue people a little of bit course. because I felt as though there isn't um, <laughs> there isn't like it's not all plain on its face. Yeah. But I yeah. think you see many of these women, they um, sort of, it's a catalyst for them to do something else um, or to invest in, for example, Hillary running for her own seat as a U.S. Senator and, and pursuing um, being Secretary of State and, and then running for President. Eleanor Roosevelt, um, writing a six day a week newspaper column and becoming a representative, one of the first representatives to the UN and helping to write the um, Declaration of Human Rights. Yeah. I mean, just amazing things that these women do after the infidelity. 
Yes. And I don't know if it just sort of makes them angry and they, they say, to heck with this, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do my thing. That could be, or maybe it gives them more leverage in the marriage. I've heard that um, people speculate that a lot, that now she's able to say, look, you did this thing, you messed it up for us. <laughs> and now I'm going to take um, my turn to, to set the agenda. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all of that. Um, I know for me personally, too, it, it was that moment where I always had the plan for my life, but I was always in partnership. So my agenda wasn't as important. And then all of a sudden, when I realized, wait, 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 I'm the only one in this partnership in the way that I think I am. It was a catalyst. And it was, it, it makes you get very clear on who am I? What is my character? What am I going to do going forward? And now is your turn. You are with me or you're not, but this is the way it's going <laughs> to be going forward. So yeah, it did end up being a very big so I, I was going to say there's a, there's some good that I, I, and I don't mean to minimize the pain, but, um, I think that you do see some good come out of these dark times. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Whichever, whatever kind of a dark time it is, there's always the opportunity for good because it does make you really clear about what you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where can people learn more? Where can they find this book? Where can, where can they reach out, contact you, ask questions, whatever, where can they find this book? Well, I have a website where you can um, hit contact and I will see what, you, what you're writing. And it's uh, annemeshow.com, all one word. Um, I'm on Twitter as myself and um, Facebook and Instagram, usually just, you know, under my name. Mm -hmm. And then where are you going from here? Because at first it was Hillary. Now you've added in different layers. What's next for you? <laughs> well, I think that I'd like to do something um, again around women, but not um, necessarily about infidelity. Um, I'm researching some ideas about how people have used um, involuntary commitment to mental assignment asylums to um, steal their, their partner's wealth or that sort of thing. So. Oh my gosh. So, so, wow. Do yeah. you have, yeah. So do you have like, <laughs> I'm like, now I'm all in. Now we need the real conversation to get going. <laughs> so is, is I like, is that a thing? Has that happened? Well, I was surprised when I researched the Roosevelt's that their son, Elliot, um, tried to have his fourth wife committed so he could take her money and marry someone else. And he was unsuccessful because she discovered the plot and <laughs> thwarted it somehow. I haven't completely researched it, but I told my sister about this and she said, oh, yeah, that happened a lot. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this out. So it's really just uh, the kernel of an idea right now, but it, that's where I'm going next. That's exciting. That's really exciting. And I love the focus um, on women. 
Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of stories around women and things that have either happened to women or places where women have stepped into and owned their power that have not been told. And it's, yeah. It's a really interesting dynamic because you're always dealing with questions of power, I think. Yes. Yes. And isn't that so what it's all about power, you know, the power that we don't have and the power that we do have. (laughs) (laughs) the power that's taken and the power that we take back. So yeah, very fascinating. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, for sharing your words of wisdom and teasers about your work with my audience. Um, I know it's a slightly different audience for you, but I think as, as a group of women who have been betrayed, I think we will find this book even more fascinating because it will validate us and our journey and our reasons. Mm-hmm. Whether we stay or whether we go, it gives us a voice. It takes us out of that role of pawn, as you had mentioned earlier, and gives us our power back, which is enormously important for anybody who has had their power stripped away, whether through infidelity or anything else. So thank you again, Anne. Listeners, check her out, annemeshow.com. I will put the link in uh, the show notes and find her book. It's available pretty much wherever books are sold. I think you'll find it highly enjoyable. Have an amazing week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. To all the women who have cried in the shower, smiled when they wanted to scream, and couldn't wait to get home and unhook their bra, Flaunt is the definitive guidebook on how to get back in touch with who you are underneath your labels, roles, and scripts. Fall in love with yourself right now. Breathe life into the dreams you left behind and live each day with uninhibited joy. Pick up a copy of Laura Cheadle's number one best-selling book, Flaunt. Drop your cover and reveal your smart, sexy, and spiritual self wherever books are sold. It's available in print, digital, and audio formats and comes with two downloadable meditations. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.